Did I blow the... No, there we go. Last night when we were in here, you know, I really did listen carefully, and that's what bothered me. I couldn't remember those, that one word, and I really did wake up. That's a true story. That I, I wouldn't lie to you, all these people. But I, I woke up. But um, some of you saw me last night. I was sitting right up the middle here, probably 75% of the way back, and I know I looked like I was sleeping. I know that. I want to apologize right now. There is no way anyone could sleep through a Mark Trotter sermon. It is impossible. So I want you to know that I was not sleeping. I was hibernating. My body core temperature had dropped below 93 degrees, and I just had, I was, I was like a bear hibernating back there. I never wanted to get outside, not because of Mark's message, I never wanted to get outside of a church service more than I did last night just to warm up in Kansas City. Who wants to get warm in Kansas City? It's usually 100 degrees here every time I come anyway, but... How many of you were a little chilled last night? Anybody? Everybody was chilled. All right. Thank you for the air conditioning, and you can tell the maintenance department, give us another degree or two tonight, all right? I'm glad I brought a long sleeve shirt. I didn't think I'd have to come into Missouri at this time of year, but I have one in my room, and I will be wearing it tonight. I promise you that. It is, it's always good to be here. It really is. I have been coming. So many of you I know don't know me because I saw... Uh, many people raised their hands last night. This is the first time at this conference for you, and I've not been in everybody's church here. So my name is George Grace. I go way, way back into the late 70s, the first time I went to Kansas City Baptist Temple to preach a college and career weekend at Camp Mocan. I believe that was 1978. And I went to the temple for many, many years after that. period. I was a senior pastor in Rochester, New York, for uh, 33 years, been in the ministry for going on 47 years now, and uh, been to Kansas City and uh, many, many times, preached in several different churches, but I appreciate Sam and Alan and others that have invited me to come back. It's so much fun coming here. I have so many great memories of uh, conferences and camps and world outreach celebrations and you name it that I was at over the years. So thank you for the invitation. My uh, message this morning, you, can, you see the uh, theme on here, the seasonings of, of speech. Now let me uh, explain what I'm going to do here in just a second, but I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Alan, if you would now, you can pass those bookmarks out for me, if you would, wherever they are. You're going to get a bookmark, it looks like this, and it has the outline of my message uh, on it. And I'm doing that because I'm going to say a lot of things, and it's going to be difficult for you to remember them, but giving you a little bookmark, and you'll understand why, that you could put in your Bible or in a book you're reading, this is kind of a paradigm that each one of us ought to kind of scroll through before we carry on a conversation with anybody. Now you say, I got to think of all these things. Well, most of these things are done, you know, just habitually. We don't even think of them. But I want to kind of tear relationships apart a little bit and show you how you can be a good communicator and how you can be a very bad communicator also. I specifically want to aim this at those of you 
who are married, although what I'm going to say applies to everybody. In fact, the first time I went through this with any group of people, other than just thinking about it, was with Alan Shelby and some of his leaders in his home over lunch. And I'm not even sure, Alan, how long ago that was. But we were talking about counseling. It might have been last year. We were talking about counseling. And I told him about this list of things that after all the years that I've counseled people, I've come through, these are the things, these are the elements that make for good counseling and helping other people. Well, the list was much shorter back then when I taught it to these fellas at, uh, over lunch at Ellen's house, and it's expanded since then, and it is an alliteration on the letter H. What you saw, or what Mark did last night, was an alliteration on the letter C. Why do you, what is alliteration? Alliteration is a literary device that helps people basically memorize maybe points or paradigm point, points of uh, some presentation. And it's uh, much easier to memorize. When you know every word begins with a certain letter, it's, it, things will pop into your mind. You may memorize these 10 thoughts even today sometime. But I'm giving you the bookmark so that gentlemen, ladies, whoever, when you're going to have a conversation, maybe you're going to meet with somebody new, maybe it's an old friend, maybe it's your pastor, maybe it's somebody that you're evangelizing, witnessing to, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe you're a supervisor at work. These are things that we must remember when we talk to people to have a good communication. Now the theme verse is in Colossians chapter number four, if you turn there with me, Colossians chapter four, verse number one. The Bible says this, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, in watch, in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Speaking, I want to get an opportunity, a door open to me of utterance. For what? To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I want to say the right thing. I need an opportunity to talk. We all have opportunities to do that. And then when I do, <clears throat> I want to make sure that what I say is the right thing. I want to capitalize on my conversation, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, I understand the context. The context is preaching the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, I want you to pray for me that when I have the opportunity to preach the gospel, first of all, that I will get those opportunities, and then second of all, that I'll say the things that I need to say. How many of you here, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are interested in winning people to Christ? Think about that for a moment. Do you think you can just open a conversation with anybody and say anything and you're going to be successful? The first thing is you need to have an opportunity to, or create an opportunity to evangelize another individual. But then it's very important that you know how to approach people and say the right things to open doors into a conversation. Isn't that true? You know that to be true. Well, that's true with everybody. You can really understand that 
when we talk about evangelism, but can you understand that when we talk about communication in a marriage relationship? Do you think you can just say anything to your wife, fellas? Any way you want to say it? Anytime you want to say it? Of course not. And here's a gentleman over here who's paid a big price for not doing that. He was very quick to respond. You heard that. You can't. But yet, people that we know well, we become much more familiar with them, and we don't think about what we say. We just kind of pop off. Maybe we say something that's cynical, or judgmental, or demeaning, or sarcastic, or critical. We, and the closer we are to people, unfortunately, the more we feel free to be able to carry on those kind of conversations. My wife does not have the same sense of humor that I do. Thank God for me that she doesn't have the same sense of humor that I have. And consequently, a lot of my kidding around is not received well by my wife. You know what I'm talking about, Sam? You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. It's not received well. And I'll have to stop and say, Penny, I'm just kidding. Well, she takes a lot of the things that I say seriously. And then she'll quote this to me. My mother used to tell me that the truest things are said in jest. Anybody ever hear that before? The truest things are said in jest. So, of course, she throws it back on me that I really meant it. I was really being cynical, critical, whatever, etc. My, my point is this. I have to be careful, even after 51 years of marriage, I have to be careful what I say to my wife and how I say it. I still do. My wife has sensitivities and she has expectations and she has feelings and all of that stuff, so I have to be very, very careful. My point is this, the things that I'm going to give you this morning work in any relationship, in any conversation, and specifically for those of you who are in a marriage relationship or last Sunday morning I had a couple make an appointment with me and I taught this to them. They're planning to get married. I said, let me give you some pointers before you ever walk down the aisle, some things you need to know about conversation and speaking with one another. So I spent about 45 minutes speaking with them about this. So notice in Colossians chapter 4 verse 4, as I ought to speak, then in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man, every man in every conversation. Now, I'm going to pray in just a second. If somebody can give me a bottle of water, I will be doing really wonderfully. I just need a, got a little tickle right there. So I'm going to pray. Sam's going to get me some water or something here, and we'll be on our way. Join me if you would. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus this morning. Thank you for the good time of worship that we have had already. Thank you for Mark's message last night that set the table here for these next uh, couple days, for today, tomorrow, and Saturday morning. I pray that you'll help me in these next few moments to make some good points. And Lord, make them because they're true, because they're found in Scripture. Because these principles, they really reflect your character, your attributes, the God that you are. We ask these things today in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen, amen. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. Now, I need to hasten to say this before I get into the message. Usually, 
Usually I'm not told to shut up before noon. I have already been told to shut up today twice. I want you to know that. I really have. I have by these sound people. They told me, I was down here talking to Sam and they didn't turn my mic off. So I'm talking to Sam and they said, you heard the guy up here, the guy, that's the funny looking guy that was playing the guitar. No, he's not funny looking. I just said that to insult him. That's all right. I know him. He's a nice guy. I do. But anyway, he said, uh, uh, George Grace, you, you need to turn your mic off, you know. Was I singing that poorly? I was singing second soprano along with what was going on here. And he says, you need to turn the mic off. Well, I'm not in control of the mic. Somebody else in here is doing all this stuff. So then, uh, you know, they did whatever they did. And I'm singing along. And some young man comes down here and says, uh, here, let me see that pack. We need to turn your voice off again. I'm going, I've been told to shut up twice before 9.15 in the morning. It's usually noon before I get two people to tell me to shut up. I want you to know that. So anyway, I'm entering into this message a little miffed, a little upset. <laughs> so if I say a few things, and if I violate some of the principles that I'm going to, that's okay. I'm going to give myself a pass on this, all right? Okay. The Bible says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace. <laughs> Need I say any more? Grace. What a beautiful word that is, isn't it? What a beautiful name, Grace. I said, did you see we, we had the last song up here? I thought it was my turn to come up because it said, Amazing Grace. <laughs> I turned around and I asked Sam, I said, is this my introduction today? But anyway, I kid about that, but you know, I was almost 26 years old before I really understood what Grace was all about. I was lost. 26, almost 26, somebody began to share the gospel. Somebody that took this passage of scripture, these six verses, very, very seriously, he began to share Christ with me. And after about six to eight weeks of feeding me a little bit at a time, I came to know Christ as Savior. And I appreciate that fella all these years. Seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. All right. Here's the principles. Let's run through them. You have a little bookmark. If you want to write a word down on there, I'll give you a word that I put on mine. And uh, I'm going to put the word no under history, okay? Here is the point. Give me the next slide, if you would. Slide number one on history. People learn in at least, excuse me there, people learn in at least three different ways, okay? Number one, we learn by experience. And that's a tough teacher sometimes, isn't it? We say, I'll never do that again. And how many times do we say that in our lifetime? We learn by experience. We also learn by advice. And we, as Christian people, we learn by spending time in the Word of God, in Scripture. So all of those things have to do with history. History. These are things from the past. We've collected this kind of information, and it kind of makes us who we are and what we are today. So we learn in three different ways. Now, the point is simply this that we need to know when we're talking to somebody what we are talking about. 
We need to have some kind of a history. We need to know something. Some people just talk, talk, and talk, and talk, and talk because they like to hear themselves talk. And they really don't know what they're talking about. Maybe we shouldn't talk as much as we do. Someone said, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We ought to be listening twice as much as we're talking. When you enter into a conversation, guard your choice of words. Now, in marriage, I said this. I said, oftentimes we just pop off and say the natural response to what we just heard our partner saying. So we say this, we say that. And sometimes what we do on purpose, or maybe accidentally, we begin to press buttons. We say something that we know the other person is going to get a little bit upset about, they're going to get a little bit uncomfortable, and that leads us maybe into a disagreement of some kind. Just an unpleasant moment, if nothing else. So when we talk to people, we need to know as, as much as we can about them. Now, this could be uh, evangelism. Watch, in evangelism. Uh, I work with a guy. Uh, this is, uh, for instance, for example, let's say I work with a guy who's a Jehovah Witness, and I'm trying to share Christ with this fellow. Well, I know something about Jehovah Witnesses, so I need to ask God, need to go back to Colossians chapter 4 and say, God, how can I open a conversation with this fella and, uh, where he just doesn't shut me off immediately? I need to know a little bit about this person, what he or she believes before I open a conversation. How can I do that in a way that doesn't seem like I'm intentionally trying to offend them? There's nothing wrong with that. Think before you engage your mouth. Think about it. You're entering into a situation with your husband or your wife. You've been here before. You know what happened the last time we went through this situation. Don't follow the same foolish path that you followed the last time into that conversation that ended up in a disagreement or an argument. Try a different strategy to talk about that particular situation. Does that make sense? If you're not married in here, you ought to be, and you want to be, you ought to be listening real careful to what I'm saying. Learn these things. You'll see as I go on, it gets even more critical. But know as much as you can about the individual so you know what you are talking about. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3 backs that up. It says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So the Bible says we need to get to know our wives. And I would say the same thing is true for women, that women need to get to know their husbands. Proverbs chapter 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you don't think this is important, you're a fool, and you will join the statistics of the divorce someday, probably. Proverbs chapter 4 says that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. And of course, James says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. This is a sample of many verses in the Bible that are essentially saying, you need to fear God, you need to think about what you're going to say, and just as Paul is praying here, we need to ask God for wisdom and guidance in our communication, in all communications. Number two, 
honesty. So the word under history, know, know, you ought to know. Honesty, the key word there is truth. Guard your integrity with graceful truth-telling. Truth is at the very heart of good character. And the, the value of truth is this, because truth and integrity are essentially the same thing, and integrity builds trust. A good marriage relationship is not primarily built on what we call love. Love is built primarily on trust. When you trust somebody, you learn to love them. As you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you begin to trust God when you see God's word is true, and you in time, it's not love at first sight with God, in time, you fall in love with God. Stay with it. But you learn to trust him first. You trust your wife. You trust your husband. You trust your supervisor or your student or whoever it is by being honest with that individual. Avoid half-truths. Be quick to apologize when you're not sure that what you're saying is, is, is true. And issue a caveat. Proverbs 19.9 says that a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Proverbs 23 says, yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. By the way, the book of Proverbs is loaded with passages of scripture that tell us how to speak properly to people, what to say, what not to say, when to say it, and when not to say it. It's such an important book to be familiar with. Second Corinthians says, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So communication, good speech, good language has to be honest. Don't deceive people. Don't tell half-truths. Don't have convenient omissions in your conversation things that you've left out in purpose, on purpose because it may paint you in a, in a different color than what you want that person to think you are. So we've got history, we've got honesty, we need to be truthful in our relationships. Don't lie to your wife, don't lie to your husband, don't start down that road of deceit with one another. It will damage your relationship. Your love relationship is built on trust, which is integrity, moral wholeness or goodness, which means when I say something to my wife, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. Now, I need to do that with grace. That's what the text says. But I need to be honest. Here's a third point, a third thought. The word is honor. Here's the key word that I'd put down, respect. Honor, value, confidentiality. Value, confidentiality. I don't have to tell everybody in my family or my friends or anybody else other than God and my wife about the intimate things of our relationship. And sometimes, not to be dishonest, but my wife doesn't need to know everything about me. Now that may sound like I'm 
like I'm uh, encouraging you to lie. I am a corrupt, sinful human being. I want my wife to think I'm better than what I really am. So I'm not going to tell her that I'm a corrupt, sinful human being. She'll figure it out. In 51 years, she's figured it out. The thing is, she doesn't know the half of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't have to tell my wife every thought I have in my mind. She may put on a piece of clothing that I think is ugly. I don't have to say, Penny, I just need to be honest with you. I think that dress that you're wearing is ugly. Now, I've got to be honest. Just got to be honest. Just got to be honest. That's really ugly on you. You know that. Makes you look fat. Yeah. Makes you look fat. There are some things better left unsaid is what I'm saying, okay? I don't have to tell my wife everything I'm thinking. I really don't. Now, if she asks me, now I'm tempted to lie. She says, what do you think of my dress? <laughs> we really need to get going. We're supposed to be at the Jones's house for dinner. We, can, you know, can I answer that in a little bit here? We just need to... Maybe she'll forget that she asked me that question. Anyway, that's probably not honoring. Always respect the individual by the choice of words, tone, and volume. Don't bring in absent third parties and do not engage in unkind comparisons of other people. Don't say, you know, Penny, my wife's name, Penny, my mother wouldn't do it like that. You are asking for trouble, my friend. I want you to know that. You don't compare your wife or your husband to other people. Women do the same thing. You know, you know, Gladys over there, her husband is really thoughtful. You know what he did? He went out and he bought her this for their anniversary, blah, 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 blah. What are you doing that for? To make your husband feel like a schmuck. That's what you're doing. That's the purpose of that, isn't it? You don't need to use the word schmuck either. I want you to know that. That's not a kind word. So look it up sometime. It's Yiddish for something else. Anyway, <laughs> respect, give people the benefit of the doubt. When I hear people say that, I go, ooh, and I said it. Oh, God, help me. Thank you. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Everyone makes mistakes. And don't force the other person to own up to theirs. Well, Penny, you made a mistake. Well, you, know, you made a mistake. Admit it. Admit it. You made a mistake. You did wrong, didn't you? I'm right and you're wrong, right? Don't press the issue. You don't have to do that. Respect the other individual. Give, respect boundaries and give credit where credit is due. An ungodly man diggeth up evil and in his lips there is as a burning fire. Proverbs 16, 27. Watch what you say. Watch what you say. Philippians 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let me just check my time here, because you have lots to do today, and I want to keep you on schedule. Be kindly affectioned one to another, Romans 12 says, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Always respect people. I don't care what the conversation is about, 
who you're speaking to, be respectful. You may not like the person. The person may have insulted you, but be respectful to individuals. And just because it's your wife or just because it's your husband doesn't give you the freedom to say whatever's on your mind. I think I made that point already. Let me give you the fourth thought here, and that is humility. We've got History, no. Honesty, truth. Honor, respect. Humility, I'm going to put this word on it. Modesty. Modesty. The Bible in Proverbs 13 says one of the most important things that I cannot get out of my mind, I will never forget, and is so appropriate so often, only by pride cometh contention. What are the problems, really, if you sum them up in a marriage relationship? Basically, pride and selfishness pride and selfishness and frankly they're brother and sister to one another selfish people are prideful people and prideful prideful people are generally selfish people only by pride cometh contention we get upset at what somebody says we feel that we've been lowered demeaned made less of and we get offended because somebody has said something that doesn't make us necessarily feel good. Be humble. Do not prescribe until you've given other persons or other people an ample opportunity to, to explain themselves. Sometimes we're quick to interrupt. We know where a person's going with the conversation. And we do this often. I, know, I do this in my marriage relationship. I know where my wife's going. I've got to know her pretty well after 51 years. I know I've heard this spiel before. I know where she's going. So I stop it by interrupting her. That's disrespectful. Wait till people finish what they're going to say. Don't interrupt them. When they are speaking, don't anticipate what you believe they're going to say. And if you don't interrupt, then you have the right to say to that individual when they're done, and they interrupt you, you say, just a moment. I didn't interrupt you when you were speaking. Give me a hearing for just a moment, and then you can respond. That's a good conversation. Let's exchange thoughts and ideas. Let's not try to talk the, uh, over the other person or talk the other person down by uh, volume or insults or whatever it might be. So the idea is submit your disagreements, I know this is hard to do, to prayer. When you and your wife or you and whoever the person is in conversation, you're having a difficult time, could you stop and say, why don't we pray about this? <laughs> I heard somebody laugh back there, yeah. It's almost that ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, let's pray about our disagreement. Really? Would you? Are you spiritual enough to stop and say, you know, maybe I am wrong. Maybe I could be wrong. Honey, why don't we pray about this? And, you know, let's let the peace of God kind of overcome us right now. And let's stop for a moment and gather our thoughts and remind ourselves that we love one another. We don't have to scream and yell at one another. Humility, humor, humor is number five. I'm gonna put uh, amusing, humor. Now you can't be humorous about everything. Obviously, humor can be quite inappropriate. But, but self-deprecating humor almost always is appropriate. Now, what does that mean? That means I make fun of myself. 
I can't make fun of my wife and get away with that. I just can't. She's too sensitive to that. Sometimes I can, but I have to make sure that I'm smiling and laughing and I set that up before I say something funny to her that's at her expense. But I can make fun of myself all day long and she'll agree with me. <laughs> it kind of opens the door to love and marriage and all that stuff when I am critical of myself, when I make fun of myself. So a little humor can go a long way. Now, if you're talking with your supervisor at work and it's you know business or whatever, or if it's your teacher, your professor, or your pastor, and you're in a counseling situation, it's not time to, oh yeah, by the way, did you hear the one about the farmer's daughter? It's not time to start telling jokes at that, at that time, not then. But there are times when it kind of levels the playing field. You throw a little humor into the conversation, and it says this about you. You know what? I don't take myself that seriously. No, I don't think I'm always right. No, I really don't. Here's something. Let me tell you about what I let me tell you about let me tell you about an argument that my wife and I had before we got married. We weren't saved. We're sitting in a bar restaurant and we're having dinner. And we're sitting there, and we're talking about, we're not married, we're talking about moving into our apartment, okay? We're going to move into our apartment. We had rented one. We were know we're going to go. And anyway, we're talking, and I don't know how this came up, but this is what I said. <laughs> I said, yes, and we'll move in, and all this, and then you can vacuum the blinds. And, uh, and my wife said, no, I won't. I said, yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. No, I will. Yes, I won't. Yes, I won't. Whatever. It just went crazy. We broke our engagement over that. You say you're an idiot. I know. That's self-deprecating humor. I just gave you some. It's a wonderful example. I am an idiot. Why would I argue over, you know what? I said, well, my mother used to do that, so I expected my wife to do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was... See, I've learned a lot. Remember I said there's, there's three ways you learn? Remember? It said experience, advice, and scripture. That was experience. That was a bad experience, and I learned a valuable lesson. I don't compare my wife to my mother. I never have done that since then. <laughs> I'm not that smart in everything, but I am smart in that, all right? Humor. Humor levels the playing field. The Bible says, the merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Here's a sixth thought here. This is a simple one. Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Here's the operative word. Listen, listen, listen to people. Listen to your wife. Listen to your husband. You do that by giving that individual your undivided attention by looking at them. Maybe you show emotion with facial expressions or body language or whatnot. The best thing that proves that you are listening to another individual is that if they ask you to do something, do it, follow up. Yeah, I heard what you said. When I go out, I'm gonna stop at the store and I'll pick you up whatever it was. And then you do it. I was listening. But listen, he that hath ears to hear. Gentlemen, do you have ears to hear your wife? Or when she starts talking, do you go blah, blah, blah in your mind, blah, blah, blah. And you don't even listen to what she's saying. 
Or ladies, do something, do something very similar to your husband. You don't listen. You know where he's going with what he's saying. You've heard it before. I don't want to hear it again. Listen. And you do that by looking at the person. Sometimes we repeat back to them in our own words what they said so we understand, so they know we understood. And then you follow up. If they've asked you to do something, do something about it. Do something to follow up. Listen to hear. Give people the opportunity to explain themselves if you don't understand. Don't interrupt. Don't anticipate where they're going. Give people a just hearing and seek clarity and understanding if you don't understand. Focus on listening and not on formulating your response in a disagreement. Oftentimes we're not listening to what the other person's saying because we think we know what they're going to say and we're already formulating a response. And then we interrupt them and we go back and forth. What does all of this do? It tears your relationship apart. It's disrespectful. It's unpleasant. You're saying, you know, I really don't care what you think. I don't care about you. That's what violating all of these things is saying. By taking these principles and using them regularly in your conversation, you are saying, I value you. Seasoned with grace. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You think your wife thinks you're a good old fellow because you're critical, demeaning, sarcastic, cynical, negative all the time? But you think she ought to love you because you're you. I'm me. I'm the best me I've ever been. You ought to love me. No, all that stuff, it starts eroding away at relationships. I remember years ago, this is, I've told this story in other conferences and I won't go through the whole thing, but I remember my wife and I went out to do, we had been married about 18 years at this time, and my wife was a stay-at-home mom. She was struggling with our five children, being a stay-at-home mom. We went out to dinner and my wife kind of dumped all this stuff, the problems she was having with the children and how she felt about it. And I sat there and I listened. And then when she was done, I said, Penny, let me tell you how to, how to fix all that. And I preached a sermon to her at dinner that night. And that was eloquent. Three points, a poem, well illustrated. I even had a PowerPoint show. <laughs> and when I was done, my wife wasn't looking at me. She was looking down at the table. She looked up and she said, George, I don't think I love you anymore. She'd never said that. We'd been married 18 years. And I thought, what did I do? What did I do to my wife to make her say that? I beat her to death with this. I beat her to death with my mouth. I'm the preacher. I'm the pastor. Chris, I know it all. I know what's wrong with you. You're my wife. You're one of my church members. Let me lecture you. George, I don't think I love you anymore. I will never forget that. And I never, ever want to hear that from her ever again. 
I hope you never have to hear that from your husband or from your wife because of your stinking rotten mouth. Because you beat your mate to death with your mouth. Critical, sarcastic, demeaning, unkind. It ought to be quiet in here because you all know what I'm talking about. Hospitality is number seven. Let's change the subject. Hospitality. Notice the word hospital. Hospital is the primary thought here. Here's the thought. Everybody's broken. Everybody's broken. You're all broken. You all have problems. I know that. So do I. I all have, we all have sensitive spots. We all have places where we failed, where we know we could have done better. Maybe we're hurt physically. Maybe we're hurt financially. Maybe we're hurt relationally. Maybe we lost a relationship. Maybe we went through a divorce. Maybe one of our children left home and hasn't called back. Broken relationships, whatever it is. We are all broken. And the people you talk to are broken people. Be sensitive to them. You can't just say whatever you want to say to people. You don't know. You may be poking around in an area in their life that is easily hurt and offended. Hospitality. The word is kindness. That's what a hospital's for. A hospital's for broken people to help them mend. Here's the next word, help. Number eight, help. If you see something that needs to be done or can be done to make a situation better, voluntarily without seeking a reward, do it. Well, you know, that's women's work. I ain't washing no dishes. I ain't doing no laundry. I bring home the bacon. I bring home the paycheck. I cut the cheese. I Wait, no, that's another thing, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I do my part. You take care of the house. You take care of this. Why do we do it? This is a team effort. We do what we do together as a husband and wife. There's no job that's too menial or too below me because I'm the pastor or I was the pastor. See, now that I'm not a pastor, I'm just a nobody now. Just a, I'm lucky to be here to even talk to you people. I really am. Who wants to listen to a guy who's not a pastor? An old, washed up, whatever he is. Hospitality, help, help. Offer help to those around you. Is there anything I can do for you? This is, you know, when I leave the house, this good, I get mileage out of this. Why? Sam, this is a good one. You've done this before. In fact, I think I learned this from you. You look at your wife and you say, honey, I'm going to be here and here today. Is there anything I can do for you while I'm out? Uh My wife begins to reel and passes out. You mean you really? Yeah, I really care about you. I've got other things to do, but while I'm doing them, I'll be thinking of you. And I'll, yeah, right, Chris, huh? You got it. Chris got it. He's laughing down here. He's got it. While I'm out there busy out there making bringing home the bacon and cutting the cheese. While I'm out there today doing all of that stuff, I will be thinking of you. I held up my cell phone right there, and when you ring, one ring, and I'm there. 
Yes, dear, what do you need? Absolutely. How much does it cost? It doesn't really make any difference. You can have whatever you want. That's why I've been married 51 years. Yeah, yeah. That has something to do with it. <laughs> anyway, Hebrews 13 says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Do good. Communicate not means give. Be a giving people. Be a generous liver. Not just, and I don't mean this liver, Chris. I know, you know it's where you go when I talk about livers. But generous, generous liver. Not just a generous giver. Be generous in everything that you do. Here is number nine, and I'm going to, I'm looking at my time. (sighs) Number nine is halt. Halt. Know when to shut up, like I was told this morning. You know, hey, stop singing, you know, you're ruining our worship service here this morning. Yeah, I'll get even with you guys, I sure will. Boy, I'll tell you. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Got me back on track. Always seasoned with grace. No one to be quiet. You know what? (laughs) Nothing personal. My wife is not always impressed with my opinion. I know it's hard for you to believe. But as a pastor, for the many years that I've been in the ministry, I have people asking me questions a lot. And those of you who are in the pastorate or in the ministry in a full-time capacity, you know people are always asking you for the answers to some kind of question. Well, I'm in the habit of coming up with an answer. And usually, about half the time, I have a good answer, something like that. And I, I have an answer. The thing is, when my wife talks about things, I have a comment or a thought about it. This is what I think about that. She kind of looks at me like, I really don't care what you think about it. (laughs) Really? She's my wife, first, and a church member, second. Sometimes we give our opinions and we say things when they are not welcome. Know when to shut up. You may come up to me, here's an example, and say, you know, we went fishing and we caught this fish. It was this big. Now, this is what we're inclined to do. Oh, I caught a fish of the same species, but mine was this big. Why do we say that? Why don't we just leave it alone? Let the person enjoy the big fish they caught. You don't have to say, I caught a bigger fish. Oh, yeah, we went to the Caribbean on vacation. Yeah, well, guess what we did? We took a trip around the world for two months. Oh, mm. I guess my Caribbean vacation isn't all that. We have a habit of one-upmanshipping people. You know what I'm saying? Shut up! Know when to be quiet. Sometimes, gentlemen, your wife just wants you to like that dinner. You know what my wife wanted me to do at that dinner when she told me, I don't think I love you anymore? She just wanted me to listen to her. She just wanted me to listen to her and sympathize with her and say, what can I do to help you? Not give her a lecture or a three-point sermon in PowerPoint. Here's the last thing. Know when to shut up. And the last thing is hope, hope. 
Everybody needs hope. Everything we know and everything we've done is in the past, right? I mean, <laughs> simple. But we're going forward. We can't stop going forward. We can't stop the clock. We can't stop the calendar. So naturally, we're looking where we are going. And it's a good idea when you're driving your car to look where you're going, not to look back to see where you've been. And that's true of life. We're looking where we are going. For some people, where they are going doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very good at all. They've got some bad experiences in the past. They've got some bad news. And now they're being told that this is down the pike and that's down. And this could happen and that could happen. What does that do? That depresses people. It depresses people. They lose hope. The reason why people, I believe, end their lives is because they've run out of hope. They're having a terrible day today, and tomorrow is going to be worse than today, and the next day worse than that. What am I hanging around here for? My goal when I counsel people in my office or when I talk to my wife ought to be to be positive. There's enough negativism in the world. I don't have to find all the problems and all the faults in our relationship, in our home, in my wife, in my children, in the church. I don't have to do that. I can speak positively. I like being here because you people are positive. You charge my batteries. There are some places I do not want to go to because I feel drained, exhausted. I remember a place I preached years ago down in Tennessee. I walked in on Sunday morning when the deacons were lined up on the front row and they, this is what they all look like. What did I, I haven't even preached yet. They're going to stone me right here today. You know, negativism. Be positive. There's a lot that could be said about this. An awful lot. Hope is vital to a healthy life. When all hope is lost, life becomes valueless. Hope propels us forward in life. No one wants to live in the realm of persistent negativism. You got to watch out being a news junkie today. It'll drive you into an insane asylum. You sit around and watch television and all the bad stuff that comes out. It'll depress you. Spare yourself. Hope is essential in dealing with pain and suffering. And everybody deals with that. Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, Romans chapter 12. Isaiah says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Grab a hold of Isaiah 41.10 and live it. And now, Lord, what wait I for? The psalmist asked the question. The answer, my hope is in thee. Of all the people on the face of the earth that ought to be positive people, it's this group of people right here. Amen, what is my hope? My hope is in the future. Eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come together here. and Thank you for these dear people sitting here patiently listening to me. 
Help us to take these principles, each of us, and use them as we speak with and to one another. Even this day, in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Amen.